will be in John chapter 13, and I'll be re- begin reading at verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your ministry of your Holy Spirit to us through the teaching of the Word and the reading of it. Lord, as we read the Scriptures this day, I pray that you will impress them upon our hearts that those things herein may be those things to cause us to live more close to you and to love more deeply and to express our love more clearly to one another, even as you did glorify yourself through the things that you did. May we also glorify you, Lord, through the things which we do in your name. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we have been going through the uh, 13th chapter here, of course we've seen many things concerning the upper room discourse, if you will, um, that period of time when Jesus was with his disciples um, for the last Passover. And we find that this uh, opportunity that Jesus had was one that um, gave him a, a chance to speak to his disciples more intimately in many ways as we see here in the narrative now he speaks directly to uh, his disciples after Judas has left the room and has, is now gone about to do those things which would lead to uh, his betrayal of the Lord Jesus and so we are reminded that the Lord was entering into a, a phase of his ministry which was going to cause him great amount of suffering and grief. And that uh, he would be accomplishing those things that the Father had sent him to do in the behalf of the world, to die for the sins of the world. Well, as we look at this uh, short passage this afternoon, three areas we'd like to look at. Uh, First of all, now is the Son of Man glorified. We find that he makes this statement. And this was a a critical, pivotal period of, uh, in Jesus' ministry, of course, pivotal because it would end pretty much his earthly ministry from here on out. Things would change completely and that he would be entering into that phase where um, those who sought to kill him would capture him 
and that one among them would betray him and even one among them would deny him three times but not to say that the others would be so loyal they too would scatter and that he would have to face those things concerning the sufferings of Christ alone and that he would finally go to the cross and that he would bear the sins of the world in his own body upon the tree and so we know that all of those things were ahead of him and this statement says much about those things to come secondly where I go you cannot come um, this was of course a statement that he made to the Jews um, and now he makes it to his own disciples because they could not follow him either he must uh, face these things alone uh, he came sent from the Father he came to die for the sins of the world he came to accomplish the will of the Father and as he went to accomplish those things uh, no one else could come with him even though he perhaps would have them to pray with him but yet even in that he was somewhat disappointed and we find that he would have to face all of these trials and sufferings uh, by himself and then of course it would ultimate, ultimately mean that he would no longer uh, be upon the earth even though he would resurrect from the dead uh, even though he would be with his disciples for some 40 days after uh, and have some opportunity to minister to them uh, yet there would come a time when he would ascend to the right hand of the father and that he would no longer be there as his as their master teacher uh, that they would have to carry on uh, themselves they would have to go even as he would commission them to go and they would have to fulfill their part in carrying the light of the gospel of Christ to others all of this wrapped up in this very much important statement where I go you cannot come and then thirdly he says love one another as I have loved you of course this is somewhat of, an, of a um, uh, magnification of another commandment that was given that they love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind and strength and that they would love their neighbor as their as if it was them to love, love their neighbor as themselves but uh, here the expansion of it would get much more personal it would mean that they would be required to love one another even as Jesus loved them and of course he did love them and he loved them so much that he gave himself for them and uh, so this becomes one of those lessons of the expansion of an older commandment which becomes a new commandment to the brethren so we want to look at these these three areas here under the title of I am now glorified and so let us uh, begin here and we turn to John chapter 13 and verse 31 therefore when he was gone out Jesus said now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him well of course this uh, statement comes directly after uh, the 
situation or the circumstance when Judas is um, departing. Um, some question was made as to um, those that one who would betray the Lord Jesus. And as we back up a few uh, statements here, in verse 26, Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And so we find that this, uh, the identity of the one who would betray him was uh, clear to the Lord, no doubt. To the disciples, they had some wonder and doubt yet exactly who this is. And uh, we find that uh, there was then some troubling of Jesus' spirit because of all of these things. In verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And uh, as I mentioned to you last week, the idea of Jesus being troubled goes to the sense of not only what was to come upon him, but also to the sense that uh, he is in human flesh. He is the Son of God, he is the incarnate of God, yet he is Son of Man in human flesh. And so that's kind of an important uh, statement here to keep in mind. And so as we look at verse uh, 31... Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now, of course, that phrase, Son of Man, is, is uh, unique to his incarnation. Uh, son of God, Son of Man. He is not only in human flesh and has a human body, but yet he has uh, a divine nature. He is the Son of God. So he uses the term here, Son of Man. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Well, that is, of course, what Jesus came to do. He came to, to uh, glorify the Father through the things that he would do. And, of course, the Father would glorify him. Um, and we find that the Son of Man is that title of his humanity. He is the Son of Man. And so, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. So we find that not only the Son of Man would be glorified, but God the Father would be glorified as well. And we know this because uh, God sent his only begotten Son into the world. Um, not only John 3.16, but as we remember in John 1.14, uh, it mentions there the incarnate Christ who, who became revealed in human flesh and that he came to glorify himself uh, in that flesh. So after the departure of Judas, um, the events leading to Jesus' death fell into place very quickly, as we might say. Um, Jesus was then free from the kind of the tension of the moment where Judas is, is with them, where he gives the sop to the one who is going to betray him, 
where he speaks to Judas and says, do thou what you do quickly, and sends him out of the room. And uh, now we find that Judas is gone, um, the 11 that are left, he speaks more intimately with them. And so as, as long as uh, the Lord is, uh, is with them at this moment, he begins to uh, talk to them in a more, uh, I suppose we, we might say, a compassionate way. Uh, and also in a way that would reveal the glory of God through the things that he would be doing. So Jesus' unique glory was revealed, of course, in his death. That is how it would be ultimately revealed. Uh, The Father would also be glorified in Jesus' death. And uh, we find that this glory is all a part of God's revealing of himself and of his Son in this great plan of redemption. And as we uh, read in John chapter 1 and verse 14, as I noted, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the Word, even Jesus himself, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, uh, that sense of the glory in him, he being a, the Savior, the Son of God, uh, in, in truth, in grace and truth, we find the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. And so this, uh, this glory that Jesus had with the Father would come to full fruition, if you will, as to the redemptive plan of God in Christ dying for the sins of the world. And also we read in Romans chapter 3 in verses 21 to 26, but says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed in the law, or by the law, and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we find that uh, the glory of God would come out through this redemptive work that would be brought to light and manifest in Jesus Christ. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And so Jesus would, would uh, finally come to that hour, that hour that had been kind of looming on the horizon for a very long time. That is, um, essentially, he lived 33 years and we find that the last three years of his ministry became that pivotal point of important part of his ministry where these things would be um, brought to light more fully and where he would complete the Father's will. And now we find him in the, in the, in the upper room and in this uh, setting um, it becomes a time of truth 
to his disciples and um, we would also believe that they were beginning to see the more serious nature of what Jesus is saying especially because the things that would transpire shortly after this um, and so he would be glorified now is the son of man at glorified let's look at verse 32 as well if God be glorified in him God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him well as we see here there is uses the word glory or glorify uh, quite a few times as uh, we look down through here and so there's about five times the word is used and um, the use of the word of course is is really causing us to take particular note of the Lord and the moment he has come to fully glorify himself in the Father and the Father in him and so this work of redemption uh, was uh, beginning to come to a, uh, a critical moment in the Lord's life. Uh, I'd like to read a brief comment to you by uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, where they say this, The hour of his glory has arrived, and what is very remarkable in five brief causes, he repeats the word glorify, five times as if to his view a causation of glories played out at the moment about the cross and so really what he's they're getting at here is that all of this uh, emphasis now placed upon glorifying the son of man and glorifying the father would all be played out as he went to the cross. That would be the critical moment. And Jesus saying this is simply saying, I've now come to that particular moment in time. The Son of Man will now be glorified. And, and so the, uh, the fulfillment of this, of course, uh, would come to that moment of his death upon the cross and of course it is a very solemn thing that we're talking about when we speak about the death of Christ that we keep in view the eternal nature of it that he came to die for the sins of the world he came to to give eternal life to as many as would believe upon him that he came to atone for sins, not his own, but for the sins of the world. That he came to offer his life as an expiation, as a full death, concerning the penalty to which we ourselves should have suffered. But instead, the Lord Jesus suffers for us. And so it is a kind of death, an expiation, a kind of vicarious atonement that we cannot fully perhaps imagine but only speak of in the terms of which the word of God now expresses it here 
And so we find that these things are being said of him. Therefore, when he was gone out, referring to Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Judas was on his way to go tell the high priest and the rulers um, about uh, Jesus and where to find him and ultimately where to secure him. Um, And um, as he would go do that, Jesus says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Um, And uh, so this uh, work of glorifying God and the work of glorifying himself would all come to fruition, if you will, upon the cross as he would suffer. Secondly, he says, Where I go ye cannot come. In verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Where I go ye cannot come. So now I say unto you. And then he goes into the last statement uh, which speaks about that new commandment. But let us uh, consider here uh, what he is saying at this uh, kind of a, using a very intimate term, uh, we're saying my children. It is the word technia, and it does mean little children, or, or the diminutive form of it means just children. And the term, of course, is really a, is expressed out of love for his disciples whom he uh, held so close to him. Now remember, he, is, uh, he drew them to himself. He called them, each one, I know whom I have chosen. Remember that statement from before, I know whom I have chosen. He chose each one of these uh, disciples. And uh, the true sense of choosing them as his little children, of course, goes to the not only preservation of their of their uh, eternal soul and eternal life, uh, but that they would be uh, very much a part of, as we would say today, the family of God. Um, we would use that term because it, the children are a part of a family, and we use that term concerning children and families. And, and Jesus called them his little children, Um, And so the term of love here expressed by Jesus is a a term of great concern for them. He knows what will happen to them after he has been taken. Uh, After the um, officials would come and they they would take Jesus away, he knew what would happen to them. He knew that they would be scattered and they would be... Um, perhaps all having all kinds of thoughts about what is going on and why was this taking place and and um, it would disrupt their their tight uh, relationship that they had with one another. Uh, Peter seems to not only he made a denial, but uh, it seems like they were all kind of disbanded from one another and they wouldn't regroup until later. Um, it seems like it would take time for them to regroup. After the resurrection, after 
Mary, the Marys came to the tomb and, and discovered that the body of Jesus was missing. Uh, after word got back to the disciples that Jesus would meet them later in Galilee, um, we find that the regathering of the disciples took a little time. They were, they were like sheep scattered from their shepherd. And we all get a sense of what that means when families are somehow broken up. And, and Jesus knew that they would. He said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. He knew it wouldn't be long now, uh, just a short period of time, if you would. And so the idea of children here is expressed for love and concern to his disciples. And um, we know that uh, John, writing this uh, epistle here, uh, this gospel, if you will, uh, writing this, we find that uh, he, John, used this term later on in First John and in of chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and, and chapter 5 of uh, And so he uses this term, and I'll refer to a couple of different references here. This is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Well, there it is, right there. You see, that's what Jesus came to do. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. Or we could, you could read it, and also for the whole world. Uh, the other two words are supplied. But I, it's, it's always important for us to, to add that universal nature to the gospel, because that is what Jesus came to do, to die for the world and the universal nature of the gospel is that it is to be given to everybody and anyone who will hear the message of Christ and of redemption and so this term is one um, that is used by John as I said uh, later on in these various passages I'll refer to another this is in uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7 little children let no man deceive you He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that receiveth, committeth sin, is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, okay, there it is again. You see, Jesus came to do something to destroy the works of the devil, that is, to take away the fallen human nature of man and give a new birth Um, instead of that old fallen nature. And that destroys the work of the devil. And Jesus came to do that. How? He came to go to the cross. came to suffer for our sins. He came to be glorified as the Son of Man, Son of God. He came to glorify the Father who is in heaven. So a couple of examples there. Uh, I won't go into all of those, but uh, he says, Where I go, ye cannot come. You cannot come. So little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say to you. 
where I go, you cannot come. Well, of course, as far as the Jews were concerned, meaning those who were of the populace, the nation of the Jews, remember they rejected him. They certainly wouldn't be following him where he would be going. And his own disciples, of course, they couldn't follow him him to the cross. Of course, Peter was under the, um, I suppose, a delusion that he could follow Jesus in some sense. Because um, uh, he didn't realize that he was going to be betrayed. Uh, Peter was kind of impetuous in this, that he, he thought he was going to be able to go along with Jesus. And perhaps become a martyr with Jesus. But, of course, he could not do that. And um, we find that Satan, of course, would, uh, would cause a great deal of problems for Peter. As you look at verses 36 to 38, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, where goest thou? Jesus answered, Where I go, thou canst not come, cannot follow me now. But shalt, thou shalt follow me afterwards. Well, what does he mean here? Of course, uh, well, Peter would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He couldn't right now. He couldn't, certainly Peter couldn't go to the cross. Jesus alone, as Son of Man, Son of God, would glorify the Father by going to the cross. He, is, he alone would, would pave the way of redemption. Peter couldn't do that. But he could follow in the footsteps of Christ, and, and he would follow later on. In verse 37, Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And of course, we, we get the impression here, maybe, you know, Peter is thinking, well, if, if, they, if they try to take you, I'll be willing to lay down my life for you. Um, I'll, I'll be willing to fight for you. And remember, in the garden, when when they came to secure Jesus, um, Peter drew out his sword and struck off the, the ear of one of the men who were there. Um, and Jesus healed it. Uh, how benevolent that Jesus would heal the ear of one who came to cause great suffering in his life and yet he heals his ear. And he chides Peter um, uh, over the occasion. Now Peter, Peter couldn't, he didn't understand yet, and he could not follow Christ where he, was, where he was going. And then in verse 38, Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? And then, of course, he makes this pronouncement, concerning Peter, which later becomes quite infamous um, as to Peter and, and his testimony, um, saying, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice or three times. And so Peter would, instead of becoming a martyr, uh, he, would, he would deny the Lord. Uh, and so... In our own flesh, we often say things that we cannot live up to. It is only Jesus who can cause us and allow us to fulfill that part of his will, which is most glorifying to him. It is only through Jesus. 
So Peter, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Peter was, um, as usual, he is quite impetuous in what the things that he is saying. Uh, again, referring to verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say to you, and this takes us to the last of the three statements here, and that is, love one another as I have loved you. And so here we find that uh, he talks about um, a very idyllic form of compassion to one another and to the brethren. The ideal is that the brethren love one another as Christ has loved them. Now Jesus does refer to them as little children, uh, as, a, as members of a family, as members of those that he loved. Now remember, he is their master teacher. He is the one who has drawn them unto himself. They have sat at the feet of Jesus, and they have enjoyed his company. They have enjoyed seeing him calm the waves of the sea, walking upon water, healing the blind, healing the leper, um, a man of compassion to all men and willing to bear the reproach of others. And now they would see the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah, that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. They would see much in the life of the Lord Jesus, and he called them his little children. And as any father would have their children, he would have them to model the very same, the same kind of love that he himself was given to them. And so Jesus, as uh, the, his, the master teacher, um, of his children he asked them don't forget to love one another as I have loved you now of course this is quite impossible isn't it we, we cannot die a sacrificial death we cannot die vicariously we cannot die in, with the atoning work of Jesus we cannot fulfill the propitiatory example of one who dies for the sins of the whole world. But nonetheless, God requires us to take up this ideal. As we recognize that it is a, uh, an expansion, really, of the whole idea of the idea of commandment keeping. If he loved me, you will keep my commandments. And so, when we, when we have the opportunity to love, we especially ought to love other brethren the way that Jesus exampled that we love the brethren. And so this is an important uh, statement that he makes. Uh, this was, in a sense, a new feature 
of the old covenant, Christ's love to his people when giving his life a ransom for many. And so consequently, this new commandment is a model, if you will, or a standard of loving one another. And uh, we find that it transcends the old. Uh, the old commandment, the old law, if you will, was it isn't that it isn't good and pure and right and godly and just because the commandments of God are. But as Christ came to fulfill the old, he came also to establish the new and to make sure that his disciples knew that it wasn't simply law that they was now keeping but it was acting upon grace. Remember, keeping of the law is difficult. In fact, we can't do it. (laughs) Uh, But to live out grace in your life is something we can do because God gives us the ability to do that. And so we always ought to be willing to show as much grace to others as God has shown to us. And sometimes it is hard to keep that in view. But he asks that his disciples do it. And that they love one another. And so looking here at verses 34 and 35, he says, uh, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. It is only new in that it is new in Christ. Remember, the Old Testament examples were set up in a mosaic sense of law-keeping. To love thy neighbor as thyself. To do good unto others. And to establish the love of God in your hearts as you can keep the commandments. But Christ is now revealed. Christ has now come. That he has set the example himself of what true sacrificial love is that he became the the love of God to the world to die for the sins of the world and now he wants his disciples to carry on this gospel of grace this gospel that would transcend the law this gospel that would show that you and I not only love one another, uh, one another, but because we do love one another, we show our love of God in us. We show the love of God in Christ. And so he says here, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. To carry out this love to one another as Christ has loved us. To carry out that idea of compassionate and grace and love toward one of one another he says by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another so it's it's like saying for my sake and as one in me for to such love men outside the circle of believers know right well they are entire strangers to it um, the church, uh, the church is to be a model to the world. Is really what it comes down to. 
uh, out in the world we can find some sense of philanthropic charity. You can find people setting up soup kitchens. You can find people who are, who are willing to have a clothing barn. You can find people who will um, run a five-mile race down the road so they can give to a cancer project or, you know, something like this. I mean, there is plenty of that kind of thing going on. But the love of Christ exceeds the love of man. The grace of God is not known to man except through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. The whole idea of grace is far exceeds the charity of man. It far exceeds it. No greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye keep my commandments. He told his disciples to do these things. It was the fuller and more complete expression and model of what love is all about. And so he encourages them. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. We find these expressions in the New Testament. And they're given because they are true. They're given because Jesus is the greater example of them and that we are to model them. And as I said, you, 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 you will find it difficult. It won't be easy to show the love of God to other people because you will think you, you're doing something different than what you are. But you need to kind of tap into that true sense of what God has done for you in forgiveness. You have to tap into that true sense of what what God does for you in salvation, in, in dying for your sins and mine. You have to think more deeply and more purely than the world to come up with that grace and that love that you can show to others. And don't kind of scrutinize it too quickly. But when you have an opportunity to do good unto others in the name of Jesus, do it. Just do it. Don't scrutinize it and think, well, I've got to do it this way, I've got to do it that way, I've got to wait for the right moment, I've got to... And you put all these restrictions on your ability to love somebody. No, do it with as much sacrifice as Christ himself would. He just freely did those things, which he did, that he might show his love to others. And when we kind of look back over the life and ministry of Christ, we find that he did nothing selfishly. He did nothing with ulterior motive. He did everything with the right design to glorify God in himself and to finally be glorified in himself as son of man and son of God. He says, I am now glorified. Let us look to the Lord. Loving Father, we do thank you for these thoughts this afternoon. Pray, Lord, that you will bless them to our hearts. Help us to think deeply upon them. 
and realize that even as the Son of God, the Son of Man was glorified in the Father. Lord, you would have us to glorify the Lord Jesus even in our lives as we love one another even as Christ loved us. I pray, Father, for your blessing upon your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And for our closing hymn, number 616, moment by moment. 616.